Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Welcome, San Diego. It's Jade Hindman. It is young people who push movements forward. We'll talk with local Gen Xers about the roles they play in activism. This is Midday Edition, connecting our communities through conversation. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. It's been 108 days since October 7th when violence escalated into war between Israel and Hamas, the militant group in control of Gaza. Israel continues with its military campaign, which has since killed more than 2,500 Palestinians and displaced more than 85% of Gaza's population. More than 200 Israeli soldiers have also been killed. Earlier this month, South Africa brought Israel to the International Court of Justice on charges of genocide. A temporary order is expected within the next few weeks, but a final ruling on whether what's happening to Palestinians in the Gaza Strip is genocide could take several years. Across the country, activists and community members continue to demand an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Many of those organizing protests, strikes and boycotts are young people. I'm joined now by Sabrain Damanhuri, an organizer with the San Diego chapter of the Palestinian Youth Movement, a grassroots group leading some of these efforts. She's here to talk more about how the group is organizing locally. Welcome, Sabrain. Hi, thank you for having me today. Glad to have you here. Before we talk about your work with the Palestinian Youth Movement, I want to talk about where you got your start in organizing. Yeah, so I was born and raised here in San Diego to Palestinian refugee parents. So for me, like organizing for Palestine and organizing in general has always been something that was in me. I got more involved specifically with PYM after they had an event that was connecting Zionist actions in uh, Latin America and showing the similarities between what Zionism is how Zionism is affecting Latin America to what's going on in Palestine. And through like events like that, I actually joined PYM and I've been active with them ever since. Yeah. And Zionism, for those who don't know, is a political nationalist movement and ideology calling for an independent Jewish state, which is now Israel. So Sabrain, there's also been a surge of young people wanting to learn more about the history behind the conflict and how they can really get involved themselves. 
Um, what has it been like to see that growing interest? It's actually been, it's been great. It's very also unfortunate that, you know, it took the genocide that's happening in Gaza right now to get people to kind of get a bit more educated on what's been going on. But, you know, through the past, I want to say 100 plus days since the genocide started, we've been seeing an increase of not only students wanting to get more active and get more educated about what's been happening in Palestine, but a lot of like older people as well. And we see that with like the increase of non-Arabs and non-Palestinians to actions and events that we've been hosting across the county. And it's been great, you know, they've been coming and they've been trying to get more educated. So I, I think it's great also because a lot of people, a lot of students haven't realized that you know we as U.S. taxpayers you we as Americans you know here in the United States that we are paying for a lot of what's been happening in, in Gaza and in Palestine you know we're funding a lot of the occupation we're funding a lot of the genocide and the the arms that are being sent to Israel so it's great to see people are starting to get educated on the matter and you know starting to do more action. That in mind what is different about organizing now compared to when you first started? I think, you know, when we first started, I first started organizing, there wasn't a lot of people showing up for Palestine. And it was mostly just, you know, Palestinians or their community or Arab people or Muslims in general, attending either our actions or our events and kind of being the people who want to listen, because those are the people who have historically been, you know, attacked or basically like threatened with like Zionism and things like that, or impacted, I should say. And with the new, you know, with the genocide that's been happening and with the ongoing situation in Gaza and the rest of occupied Palestine, we're starting to see an increase of non-Arabs, non-Muslim, non-Palestinians who are starting to get educated and starting to kind of come to these events and wanting to get more educated and starting to look at their government and, you know, their elected officials and saying, why are we funding this? So despite it being a very like, you know, horrible situation that's happening in Gaza, the people are starting to wake up and it's it's been great to see that. You know, as as young people feel more empowered and are interested and are using their voices, can you tell me how important it is to have the youth voice involved in, in any movement? I mean, the youth are essential to the movement. We are the Palestinian youth movement. It's in our name. And, you know, the youth are the future. So I also I think it's important that we recognize that the youth that have been coming up with, you know, in the last couple of years, it hasn't just been the genocide that's been happening in Gaza. It's also, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement, people are sick and tired of our country's lack of, you know, engagement and listening to the people. And the youth are really going to be the one who are changing the tides. And, and we're going to have the majority vote eventually. And I think it's it's really important that the politicians right now, you know, especially Joe Biden, they need to start catering to the youth and the young people because we are the future. We are the movement. And without us, you know, without our vote, they're really not going to get anywhere without us. So I think it's important that they start paying attention to the youth. The Palestinian youth movement recently did a banner drop on the I-5 and organized a protest in front of the county administration building. Why is it important to have these protests and mobilize in this way? So I think a lot of it has to do with reminding our community that we're still out here and that, you know, despite the lack of attention that we see from major media sources, 
that people are still out here, you know, fighting. People are still out here asking and telling and demanding our government, to, you know, that we want a ceasefire. A lot of these, you know, mass mobilizations, whether it's what happened over the weekend or the statewide California action that happened up in San Francisco, you know, there were buses that came from San Diego that went up to San Francisco, buses from L.A., all across the state. And all these people, you know, they want our elected officials to recognize that we we want an end to what's happening. And it's also a reminder to our community and the people who haven't engaged in Palestine or haven't engaged what's been happening for the past 100 plus days, that there is a genocide happening in Palestine. And whether or not you want to pay attention to it, it's happening. And we as Americans, again, are part of the problem. We are funding the genocide. We're funding the occupation. And whether you like it or not, we're part of the problem. So I think it's important that everyone starts to wake up and these protests and these mass mobilizations, they're important to remind not only our internal community, whether it be Arab Palestinians and the people who are affected by Zionism, but it's also a reminder that we're contributing to Zionism as American citizens here in the States. And outside of protest, another way that you reach people is through art. I know that recently you all helped organize Resist My People, Resist Them, which was a night dedicated to the poetry of Palestinian writers, educators, and activists. Why is it important to organize events like this for the community? Yeah, so on um, Friday, we hosted a poetry event. And basically, this was very important for our community to remind us that, yes, we do, we can host actions like mass mobilizations and um, banner drops and things like that. But also that, you know, the arts are also a way to change people's hearts and motivate them into seeing the bigger picture and thinking more critically. And it's also just, you know, a way for us to stay connected as a community, because a lot of what is happening in Gaza and in the rest of Palestine is affecting all of us here. You know, as Palestinians, we see what's happening and it's just a constant reminder of what has been going on for the past 75 plus years since 1948, you know, with the creation of the state of Israel and the Nakba that had happened to Palestinians. So for us, it's important to host these more artistic events as well, just, you know, so we can stay connected as a community and, and stay grounded in that sense. So does it help create this sense of solidarity with other community members to be in a space like that? Yeah, of course. I mean, when we host events like this, we're not doing it alone as PYM. We're doing it with other local organizations, whether that be Anik Bayan, whether that be Pillars of the Community. But, you know, all of these efforts, they can't be done alone. So we're mobilizing together. We're mobilizing with our community. We're mobilizing with those who also know that they're all part of this movement. And, you know, the Free Palestine movement, the mass mobilizations that we're having for Palestine, it's not just about Palestine. It's about getting freedom and liberation for all people who have experienced occupation, who have experienced racism, who've experienced any sort of struggle. And this all hits close to home for you, right? Yeah, I mean, for me, both of my family members, both of my family, my parents, they're both, you know, refugees and both sides of my family uh, grew up in refugee camps. So when I see what's happening in Gaza, I'm constantly reminded that, you know, not 20 miles away from what's happening in Gaza, my, my family still lives in a refugee camp over there. And if they can bomb the Khan Yunus refugee camp in Gaza, what's to say that they're not going to bomb other refugee camps? I know this has um, probably been a heavy weight on your shoulders and uh, something that you are probably anxious and worry about 
daily. So I hope that peace finds you soon. But how does the movement follow the lead of Palestinians on the ground in Gaza right now who are calling for actions like strikes and boycotts? So we have a lot of people on the ground. And I think within the last hundred days, we've seen, you know, the increase of journalists on the ground like Bissan, like Plastia, like Martez, and these people who are experiencing the genocide firsthand and they're able to showcase all of that to us through social media. But a lot of these people are calling on us, not only as Palestinians, but as, you know, the global, the international community, people, you know, who have human consciousness, they're calling on us, you know, to strike and to continue to push our elected officials, to continue to push our communities, to remind everyone that we're still here. So they're calling on these strikes and it's our responsibility as Palestinians. It's our responsibility as human beings and people who, you know, care about human well-being that we answer the call for the strikes. We're answering for the call, the call for mass mobilizations and protests and to continue to push that our government listens and stops sending and funding the genocide that's happening. You know, many of the Palestinian journalists still in Gaza are younger. How does it feel to follow their coverage, the coverage of of young journalists, and see how this war is affecting this current generation? It's it saddens me that, you know, a lot of the journalists right now are all younger journalists. You know, a lot of them barely graduated college and were expecting to go on to, you know, careers other than doing, you know, journalism. But I am glad that they have gone out of their way to do this for us and they're doing it for Palestinians not only in the you know in the diaspora but for for the rest of the humanity to kind of see and witness what's happening firsthand I don't think they asked to be part of this you know it's just something that came out for them and they're they're doing this despite knowing that you know maybe today won't be the day, maybe will be their last day on earth and and they're still you know putting their right their life at risk and danger and you know they're recording all of what's happening and they're they're doing their job and it's like as a young person i i see this and i and i you know i pray for them and i pray that they're like doing that they're doing okay and that hopefully you know you know with our efforts here in the diaspora that we're able to try to get a ceasefire but i i also think it's kind of crazy that we have, you know, young journalists like this putting their life on the line and putting their lives at at risk every day. And we haven't seen, you know, Western media or the more larger media kind of come out and condemn what's happening. It's, It's very, like, saddening to see what's happening in Gaza and Palestine, but they push us to move forward. You know, and they encourage us every day that they're going through this genocide and they're able to show us what's going on and us here in the diaspora, it's our job and it's our duty to make sure that what they're showing doesn't go unnoticed and to continue to push it out. You talked earlier about working with other grassroots groups and marginalized communities in San Diego. Why is it important to have these coalitions where a lot of groups are represented? And how does it help in your advocacy and cause? Yeah, so PYM, PYM San Diego is actually part of a coalition called San Diego for Palestine. And this coalition is made up of a lot of other groups like Healthcare Workers for Palestine, uh, American Muslims for Palestine, CARE, JVP. And it's important that we, you know, establish coalitions like this because we as one org can't do all the work and we as one org, we can't reach the entire community base. 
So, you know, with coalitions like this, we've been able to mobilize more quickly. We've been able to mobilize more strongly. And I think it also shows that we're, we are a community. We need these coalitions. We need to remind people that one struggle is, is everyone's struggle. And like I said, you know, the Free Palestine movement isn't just for a free Palestine. It's for a free, liberated we're calling for a free and liberated community for for all marginalized peoples. And and I think the coalition helps to kind of push that narrative as well. What do you want listeners to know about the Palestinian youth movement and the work you're doing in the community? Um, so the Palestinian youth movement is a grassroots transnational organization, and we've been around for a while. Our job here is to get our community active and get our community politically educated and engaging politically as well. And I think it's important that people, you know, see that, you know, this we didn't kind of just start off back in October. We've been around for a while and we've been organizing for Palestine for a very long time. So check out our online, our website, check out our Instagram and, and you can learn more about us and you can stay connected with us. I've been speaking with Sabrain Damanhuri, an organizer with the Palestinian Youth Movement. A determination is still yet to be made on whether or not what is happening in Gaza can be called a genocide legally, as the International Court of Justice deliberates South Africa's case against Israel. Sabrain, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Coming up, the conversation moves to the youth movement to preserve Kumeyaay culture. Every time I breathe, every time I get up, every time I speak a little bit of my language, you know, pray a little bit in the morning or anything like that, I feel like I'm celebrating being a Kumeyaay woman. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. For generations, indigenous people were prohibited from openly practicing religious, spiritual, and cultural traditions. This kept many families from passing along culture and identity to their children. But in recent decades, since the passage of the American Indian Religious Freedom Act in 1978, there's been a greater effort to reclaim those traditions and close the generational gap. I'm joined by two Kumeyaay women who are out in the community representing their culture and heritage and passing it along to the next generation. Harmony Sweetgrass is Miss Kumeyaay Nation for 2023 and 2024. Welcome, Harmony. Hi, how are you? Doing great. And Jadalyn Pham, member of the bird dancer group Saquon Bird Girls. Jadalyn, welcome to you too. 
Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so glad to have you both on the show today. So, Harmony, you're the first Miss Kumeyaay Nation from the Saquon Band of the Kumeyaay Nation. What does that recognition and that role mean to you? Yeah, so deciding to run for this title was very personal to me because I am the first to have ever not only ran, but also win the coveted title um, to be from the Saquon Band and the Kumeyaay Nation. So it took me a long time to prep for because I knew that it wasn't just for me, this title, but it was for my family and for my tribe and for the young women and girls from Saquon. So that to me, again, was very personal. I knew I wanted to do things the right way. So I took my time and prepping for it. It took me years. Um, This was my last year to run. The age requirement is from 14 years old to 22. And I just turned 22. So it was either, you know, all or nothing. And I put my all into it and I got it. And it has been such an amazing opportunity to experience all these different things of representing my tribe and my people and going to different conventions and youth programs and conferences and just getting out there and meeting new people and just learning so much about myself and also continuing to learn about my people. That's what this really like this title has given me such a amazing opportunity to continue to learn. Yeah. And I don't think people realize how much preparation goes into um, this. So that's that's excellent that you did that. So in this role, you represent all 12 sovereign bands that make up the Kumeyaay Nation. What are your other responsibilities as Miss Kumeyaay Nation? I mean, what have you learned since starting? Yeah, so some of my responsibilities, they include a list that is given to me by my committee of events that I'm required to go to. So anything that's happening within the Kumeyaay Nation or anything that is Kumeyaay related, I kind of go as a representation of our nation. Also, one of the responsibilities is to kind of just use my platform um, to the best of my ability because I am supposed to be a role model figure within the community to our young women and our young girls. So a lot that I've been doing is just continuing my work with um, the group that me and my cousin Jadalyn created, the Saquon Bird Girls And we created that to create like a safe space within our community for our young women and girls to be able to practice their traditional dances and, you know, different traditions without fear of judgment or, you know, fear of asking dumb questions or anything. So we wanted to create a space where everybody felt welcomed, everybody felt safe. So that is really important to me to continue my work with that. But yeah, that's basically my responsibilities. Yeah. And Jadalyn, like Harmony mentioned, you are part of the Saquon Bird Girls. Tell me more about that and your commitment to the group. So my role, I guess, kind of in this group is, you know, we're, we both post things, you know, we go out to these events and we're dancing, either it's a powwow or gathering, um, or even Harmony gets asked to do land acknowledgements and we go dance. This platform is really important to, you know, both of us um, because it's a way to kind of motivate and encourage not just our youth, but as well as our adults in our community who didn't get the opportunity to learn. And, you know, 
didn't have the resources that, you know, even our generation has now. Well, and that's that's something interesting that you bring up is, you know, that the adults in generations past didn't get the opportunity to really learn about the culture, to practice the religion. I guess I wonder if there have been any challenges to sort of relearning that and connecting with that since the older generations couldn't. Yeah, I guess there is this sort of harder or bigger disconnect needing to go out and find these teachers or these mentors and not expecting kind of everything to be taught to us, even though that is, you know, our way. It's taught through our families, our our aunties, our moms, our dads, our uncles, and even, you know, our grandmas and grandpas. It's uh, difficult to, like I said, to try and find these teachers. So that's another thing that I think is so great is that we are publicly posting, I guess, these flyers for other people to kind of see and realize, oh, like, I can go to this. Like, I don't need to formally, like, give tobacco and ask a teacher. Like, we invite everybody in the community to come out and learn. Yeah. Is it hard to motivate other young people to learn about the culture as you all have? Um, It is a bit difficult, I guess, living in this, like, fast-paced life, trying to slow everyone down and break it down for people to kind of realize, like, this in our traditions, our culture, it's important to learn. It not only teaches us about our family and where we come from, but who we are and who we will continue to be. And, you know, language is also a major focus when it comes to preserving Kumeyaay culture, I know, especially because it's all oral. So there are fewer and fewer fluent speakers. Harmony, what's your relationship to the Kumeyaay language and why is it important to preserve it? Yeah, I grew up with my mom who was reconnecting a lot in her early adult life because of, like we've mentioned, the generational gaps in our culture. For example, my great-grandma didn't feel the need to pass on a lot of traditions and customs to her children because she felt like it wasn't relevant during that time. It was better, you know, to be anything else than to be Indian at that time. So, Fast forward to my mom's generation where they're reconnecting and relearning. My mom had the opportunity to go to some of the first Kumeyaay language classes that were offered by the Kumeyaay Community College. So I grew up with her learning and constantly like putting sticky notes all over the house of what, you know, certain objects were in Kumeyaay. So very early on, I had a pretty like good relationship with our language. I recently started to attend Kumeyaay Community College as a student myself, and I have been taking um, the language classes. And like you had mentioned, it is pretty difficult because it is a oral language. We don't have a written alphabet. It's also a living language. So it's always constantly and changing, adapting over time as we move into this modern age. You know, we have to create words that didn't really exist back then like we had to create words for like televisions and like stuff like that where it's like very literal meanings of like a box with moving pictures so it's kind of hard to like learn that with uh as I'm older because I am 22 now so you know you learn this kind of westernized version of education and English is so much harder than like other languages I've found So yeah, just constantly trying to absorb as much information as I can within our language and also just using it as much as I can, even if it's just little words, using it every day, because if you don't use it, you lose it. 
And we try to emphasize that to our youth as much as we can. Every activity that we do with them or anything, we try to incorporate our language and they really absorb it very well because they're so young and they're still, you know, easily able to uh, pick up things like that. So that is something that I like to be very involved with. Yeah. Well, Jay Dillon, what's your perspective on that, on the relationship to the Kumeyaay language and why it is important to preserve it? I feel it's important to preserve it because it, like I said, it not only teaches me where I come from and where my family comes from, but also who I am. And in our songs, um, we have our bird songs. If we didn't know the language, we wouldn't know what our songs are talking about. And our songs, they teach us, you know, our way of life and how we should act. I find it a little bit more tricky, you know, as I'm getting older. I'm 17, but, you know, as I'm getting older, that language retention is a bit harder than if I had learned as much as I have learned when I was like four or five. You know, I mean, we've touched on these generational gaps that exist. So this question is for both of you. I mean, do you feel like it's your responsibility as leaders in your community to reclaim Kumeyaay traditions and pass them on to the next generation? Yeah, you know, I feel as as lucky as I am to be taught by such strong people, you know, my teachers are both Harmony and her mom. They've taught me everything I know. So I feel like as a Kumeyaay woman who has had that opportunity to learn, it's important that I share and also continue to learn about who I am and share it with, you know, my cousins and people from other reservations, because it's important to to keep that knowledge and to really strengthen it within our community. Like we said, that generational gap has has been something so devastating because, you know, it makes it harder for us to learn and it makes it harder to motivate and encourage these younger kids because they see it as, well, if my family doesn't really know that much, then why do I have to? And I feel like I we both need to be that that boulder that says, you know, you should learn this and, you know, it's important and it's it's fun, you know. We aren't the same as any other culture where we're different. We have our own way of life. Yeah. I mean, you know, women in your families, you know, are are leading this effort to reclaim cultural heritage. Harmony, your mom works for the cultural department on the reservation. How do you celebrate Kumeyaay culture within your own families? Yeah, um, my mom is the director at our cultural center, and that has been She's honestly my biggest role model. I look up to her for everything. She's also taught me everything I know. So celebrating Kumeyaay culture within our own family, um, it's kind of just not even a second thought. It's honestly just a way of life. It's a lifestyle being Kumeyaay and those sacrifices that come with, you know, being a Kumeyaay woman and the roles that we serve in our community. Um, I feel like it's just something that's second nature to me. It's just woven into my DNA. So every time I breathe, every time I get up, every time I speak a little bit of my language, you know, pray a little bit in the morning or anything like that, I feel like I'm celebrating being a Kumeyaay woman. I do think it's a little hard to, you know, walk in both worlds, as we would say, of like being a Kumeyaay person and also being like a student, for example. Sometimes it's hard to mesh the two. Um, other times, it is easy to, you know, represent myself as a Kumeyaay woman. 
But yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about the importance of being able to practice your spirituality and your religion as part of connecting with your culture. Yeah, I, I think it's everything to the morals and values that it gives you, to your mindset, to, you know, everything in our creation story and our songs, um, you know, that's our basically our religion. It tells us how to be, how not to be. It tells us how to conduct ourselves, how to conduct our ceremonies. Everything we need to know has already been given to us by creator. So being able to practice those things is something super special and something that I try not to take for granted every day. Like we said, there was a time not too long ago where our people could not practice these things openly and freely. So every time I am able to do anything like dance with my cousins or pray a little bit in my language or hear my elders speak in their language, it just uh, makes my heart happy and my soul just like, uh, it's such an amazing feeling. Yeah. Yeah. How important is it to educate oneself in other indigenous perspectives? Jadalyn, I heard you're, you're taking a powwow class to help with that. Yeah. Um, so like you said, I am, I'm taking a powwow class. Um, I find that it's really important to, I guess, learn from another indigenous perspective coming from a powwow family and coming from a bird family, or, you know, you learn two different styles of dances and two different ways of life. And I find that even though, you know, San Diego and other areas are Kumeyaay land, powwow lifestyle is very prevalent in San Diego and very significant. You know, you see all these powwows and you have these powwow dancers. And so I'm kind of trying to learn from a different way of life and different protocols, I guess, that people follow and different characteristics that, you know, other natives have and being able to go to other functions that don't have, I guess, as many Kumeyaay people, you know, being able to speak with someone that's, you know, Navajo or Deneh or um, Ojibwe, seeing how or listening to their creation stories and their way of life makes me feel a lot stronger in myself, I guess, because I'm able to tell them, you know, where I come from and who my family is and who the Kumeyaay people are. So I find, you know, it's really important to learn who you are as an individual because you're able to further explain that to other people as well. Yeah. What's next for the both of you? I mean, what do you want to pursue in the future? And Harmony, I'll start with you because I heard you're interested in merging Western education and Kumeyaay education. So I'm curious about that. Yeah, that's something that's really important to me is um, indigenizing education and showing our youth that we can walk in both worlds and still, you know, have our cultural knowledge and still be successful in a Western academic society or, you know, going into business, you know, but still having those roots and that culture and that knowledge, I feel, can make you even stronger. So my plans for the future, I'm going to continue being a student at Kumeyaay Community College, hopefully get my associate's degree in Kumeyaay Studies maybe transfer to a four-year university in the future. I'm really interested in majoring in cultural resource management. 
So I just like to continue my work with the youth and with learning as much as I can just about my culture and passing on traditions to the youth and some young members of my family. I'd also just continue, would like to continue to be a service to my people as much as I can and give back as much as I can and continue to use my platform, you know, even not as Miss Kumiai or just as a an older woman figure in the community, using my platform for good and being a role model to our youth. Mm. And Jadalyn, what do you want for your future? Well, currently I'm a senior in high school. So what I'm really looking forward to is going to college. I want to become a nurse. And with that, I want to be able to help my community in any way I can, whether that be going and working for an, an Indian um, Indian health services or, you know, creating a clinic or what, doing what I can to give back to my community as it is given to me. I've been speaking with Miss Kumiai Nation, Harmony Sweetgrass, and Jadalyn Pham, members of the Saquon Bird Girls. Harmony and Jadalyn, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.